to, and hopefully it will stop raining, and, uh, and all of those things. And as we look at the southwest of the country, then we're pretty blessed, aren't we? And uh, the series is going to be called There's Only One. And uh, this morning, I just want to sort of lay a little bit of a foundation for that. And I'd like to read uh, three verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is a wonderful book. It's six chapters. And it really is a, a book of two halves. The first three chapters lay something into us. They remind us of what God has done for us, how he's chosen us and called us. And um, if we could just have that scripture on the screen. And, um, and then we come to the second part of the book. We know that there was no chapter divisions in the original writings, but they help us. And as we start to get to chapter 4, it reminds us that what's been worked into us needs to work out of us. That is discipleship, that is Christianity. And uh, it reminds us that uh, we're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and work together. And then we come to verse 4, four and it says these words, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. It goes on to say, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, which we... Rejoiced in last week, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> we're going to be looking over these next few weeks, either weaving with some other ministry. We've got Teens Challenge with us in a few weeks, and that'll be uh, announced. We've got uh, some friends from Australia with us towards the end of March. We'll be celebrating Mother's Day and all of those things. And in all of that, we'll be weaving in this particular truth, this particular thought that there's only one. And this morning, it seems appropriate that we start with God. And so this morning, I want you to think about the fact as we uh, sit under that banner headline that there is only one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, and I'll read some other verses in a moment. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, we pray about these things. I remember sitting with Paul and Paul Stokes and Christian and me sort of early December <clears throat> uh, actually was enjoying a nice breakfast together but we're also praying and thinking and strategizing regarding truths that would help us regarding Arena Church in 2014 and in this particular journey at the moment we, we're doing something different at night because it fits in with what we want to lay into Arena Mansfield and as we thought about this and picked up on that whole thought that's been mentioned numbers of times, rightly so, in these first few weeks of this year. We want to strengthen in all areas of our life. And this truth sits around the very essence of Christian faith and belief. I want you to notice that we're doing that to a backcloth, a background. Things that are happening in our world that we need to be aware of, that even, uh, even shifts in history that take place in our 21st century life. And so we recognize that that to that backcloth, there are changing times. You, you've heard me talk before about huge shifts in technology and communication in these days. They're dramatic. They're incredible. Uh, if, if you like, we, we, we talk of history of the past about an industrial revolution, and it really was. And there's no doubt that within the last 20 years, we have witnessed a communication revolution. You can literally connect with the other side of the world in seconds, uh, things we can know about that sometimes, even in recent times, would have taken days and sometimes weeks, we now know about in moments. So a huge uh, sort of revolution that's take place, the world has somehow shrunk and become smaller. People sometimes describe it as a global village. But more than that, 
That shift has also massively impacted attitudes and opinions. And uh, experts in terms of uh, cultural change would describe this as postmodernity. Don't get too hung up on it. But the reality is, friends, that the characteristics of culture today deny absolutes. And so many people would say, well, you can't say exactly what we're saying. That's why we're saying it. Because we want to strengthen exactly what we believe as a Christian church and as Christian believers. You see, part of culture today, and young people would particularly identify with this, is that people revel in only being sure about they're not sure about anything. That reflects all through life. Well, you can't say there's just one God. You can't say that Jesus is the only way. You can't say that the Bible's the truth. We're saying all those things. We want to strengthen in these days. We want to give you some tools. We want to give you some encouragement. We want to set you up for Monday morning as you walk into your mission field to take the kingdom of God to help you in these days. They're not only changing times, but they're challenging times. Because uh, around us, friends, there are many people through culture and opinion that want to impose that upon the values that are unchanging. The Bible says in Hebrews that when everything else is shaken, the kingdom of God will stand forever. And it really does. And as you've heard Christian pray this morning, friends, for the things that come to us, and I'll refer back to this in a moment, that shake us. They really do. It's frankly crass to deny that. But there is something within us, the kingdom of God within us, that will cause us, friends, when everything else is shaken, to remain. Because it endures forever. It takes us to all eternity. But the challenge of the Christian faith in these days is that people, friends, want to impose their values, their desires, their opinions upon us, and so shape us. But the kingdom of God, breaking out to the right and to the left, the kingdom of God that spills out of you, actually, friends, is designed to shape them and not us. Interestingly, I've just been reading in my devotional readings this year that... Uh, to the context of first century Christianity. And we often sort of get starry-eyed about the Bible and the New Testament, thinking, wasn't it, e- wasn't it easy to plant a church in the first century when everybody was saying yes? Well, they weren't all saying yes. And the reality is, friends, in a completely different context, that many of the challenges that we face now, they face then. And the New Testament is a clear call for people to come out to be different, to shine for Jesus, and to impact the world in which they live. Nothing's changed. And then we live in crucial times. Because I don't want you to think that there's any negativity in terms of this particular series, that somehow the pastors, the eldership, are getting a little bit nervous about all of this. We're really not. But here's the truth. As we run to the ones, we want to encourage people to be those that would pass on to succeeding generation the ways of God. We want young people to be absolutely connected with their world and to understand it, but not to move away from the things that absolutely are vital and precious and stand forever. And there is only one God. And so to all of that, we want to strengthen, not arrogantly or belligerently, but carefully and deliberately and out of persuasion and passion for God's and his purposes. And so the reality is that within the Christian world and within the Christian truths and within the Christian ministry of a local church, often we give lots of things away. Somebody said to Paul Scanlon once about compromise. Mr. Scanlon, how often do you compromise within, the, within your Christian ministry? He says virtually every day. 
what he meant by that, friends, is that sometimes you have to give away to context to make them work. But the truth of the matter is that there are some things that we are very uncompromising about. Because if we compromise on some things, we cease to be a Christian church. That's the truth. And we want to pass on and inspire to succeeding generations as we think long. That something will emerge around this M1 corridor beyond. And going far further than we ever realized. That would carry into its challenging, changing culture something that stands forever. Because it's from God. You read in those verses that were put up with us that there's one body. So we're going to be talking about one church. The Catholic church. No, I didn't say the Roman Catholic. The Catholic simply means universal. It's got many shades and color. But there's one church. There's one spirit. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. And as we're thinking for a few moments this morning, there's one God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 again says, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The psalmist says, let them know that you alone are the most high over all the earth. The prophet Jeremiah says, no one is like you, Lord. You are great and your name is mighty in power. I'm going to use a few long words for a moment or two. Please forgive me and I'll try and explain them. But Christians are what are known as monotheistic. We worship one God. He's existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but he's not three gods. We are monotheistic. What are some of the challenges of today in terms of coming against that? Well, there are cultures and countries and peoples that are polytheistic. In other words, they believe in many gods. Take the subcontinent of India, over one billion people, with its state religion of Hinduism. Within that nation... It's thought that there are over 300 million gods that are worshipped that stems out of their particular approach to religion. Then what about pluralism? Pluralism in our society, you'll often talk about as being a plural, you'll often hear commentators talking about a pluralistic society. It means that many gods and values have equal value. And you'll come against that. Young people, you'll come against that all the time. You can't say your god's better than my god because my god's equal to your god. And then what about syncretism? This is big in the church. Really? Yeah, it's why Colossians was written 2,000 years ago. Syncretism, friends, is a mix and match of beliefs. It's a hodgepodge of spiritual values. In other words, it says, I like being a Christian, but I like doing things actually that aren't Christian as well. And I'm pretty comfortable with doing both. That's syncretism. But disciples, friends, take the whole lot. They don't pick and choose. Any of you still got any chocolates left from Christmas? And the likelihood is that you've had the caramels and the soft centers and you've left the ones that you don't like and they're going to end up in the bin. And it's a little bit like that with some people in terms of their faith. They take out the things they like, but then they also receive into their life things that clearly aren't taught by Jesus. It's syncretism. He stands against the one God. And then what about atheism? Psalm 14 and verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart there's no God. But you will know, if you sort of watch these things, that there's been a rise, particularly in Europe, the spiritual wasteland of the world in these days, Europe. You will know that there's been a rise of militant atheism in the last 50 years that's huge, and we cannot ignore it. Where people say, actually, I don't believe in anything apart from myself. You need to pray for Europe, friends. I was in a meeting last week where there was some talk about leadership, Christian leadership, Pentecostal Christian leadership in Europe. And boy, we need God to help us. Can't walk away from these things, friends, when, they're in, when they're, there are communities in Europe as big as Nottingham with no 
evangelical church in them. Not one. And we need a fresh rise of a new generation that will plant churches and see Europe one for Christ. Where's the Spirit of God hovering at the moment, friends? I believe he's hovering over Europe. I include us in that. I'm not going there with my politics in terms of where it should be in or out, but I'm, I'm talking about the general thing. You know, there's a great need for a move of God, a move of God's. And I believe God's going to raise up a generation that are going to believe it in Jesus' name. So God is one, existent in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And of course, God's a big subject, small name, but big subject. And there are people, friends, that have literally given their lives for the study of God. It's called theology. This young lady here, Amelia, has done a fantastic sort of job over the last three years because she's went, went to a secular college in terms of Nottingham University, a great university, one of the top ten in the nation, to study theology. And I said to Amelia, the important thing in all of that is that you maintain your simple faith in Christ through it all. And she's done brilliant. And she sort of talks to me sometimes about some of the stuff she's engaged in. And uh, it's challenging. And uh, she's got people doing theology that don't even believe in God. That's amazing, isn't it? And she's navigating all of that. And we honor you, Amelia, for your great spirit and heart. And uh, you're coming towards the end of the line and run well to cross that line. And I thought, well, I'll bring this along. Because when I was at Bible College a zillion years ago, everybody said, you've got to get Louis Burkhoff. Because that was systematic theology. And uh, this is a more recent tome called Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem. He's given his life to studying about God. <clears throat> and uh, I thought I'd sort of give you a little... I thought I'd give you a little taste of what's in that book. So he talks a little bit about proof of the existence of God. And he talks about the cosmological arguments that considers the fact that every known thing in the universe has a cause. Therefore, it's reasons. The universe itself must have a cause. And the cause of such a great universe can only be God. Then what about the teleological arguments, which is a subcategory of the cosmological arguments? And then what about the ontological arguments? It begins with the idea of God who is defined as being greater than anything else that is, uh, which is nothing that can be imagined and then argues that the characteristic, characteristic of existence must belong to being such a being since it's greater to exist than not to exist. And finally, the moral arguments from man, man, man's sense of right and wrong and the need for justice to be done and the argument that there must be a God who is a source of right and wrong and who will someday mete out justice to all people. This young man's done all that as well. You can wake up. It's okay. We're through. But what I'm saying, friends, is that you can make it incredibly complex. I'm going to try and make a point in a moment. <clears throat> if you want a little taste of Dr. Wayne Grudem, then there's a little book that will just help you, rather than waiting through that. But lest you think that Dr. Grudem, who I've heard personally, a fine American theological professor, has got his head in the clouds, and he's just interested in talking about God, <clears throat> let me illustrate, friends, that he's had to work through living for God because in the front of this book there's a dedication and it says these words we thanks to God for the life and memory of Rachel R. Freedom Grudem born the 2nd of June 1982 married to Alexander Grudem his son 3rd of April 2005 died 9th of July 2005 his precious daughter-in-law friends was involved in a head-on car accident and went to glory and uh, the professor of theology had to navigate through something that's unexplainable and inexplicable. And he writes in the book, the Lord's given and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Dr. Rick Warren said just this past few months, as some of you will know, last year, Rick and Kay had to navigate 
their own grievous loss of their son in his late 20s. He said these words, I'd rather walk with the Lord with all my questions than walk by myself with all my answers. And I would as well. I would as well. And this amazing God, friends, can commit somebody to writing a lifetime's tome, but actually it can be revealed to boys and girls and little children. And folks with no religious experience or background because he wants to be known and he wants to be our friends. And he shows himself to be eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He reveals himself in creation to the extent that in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, J.B. Phillips in his great translation says that God has so revealed himself in creation that he's left us without a rag of excuse. He reveals himself as being all-powerful, omnipotent, all-present, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's with you tomorrow in that blasphemous context that you have to walk into at work. God is with you. And God is omniscient. He knows everything. We used to sing a hymn years ago, the secret sins, my open sins, will all be revealed to him. I've got to say with respect, there's no such thing as a secret sin. It might be secret to everybody else, but it's not secret to him. He knows everything. And in the area of revelation, knowledge, friends, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, what God does on occasions in his economy is that he reveals something of all of his knowledge to somebody else to break open people's lives. We need more of it. We need more of it. But the Lord confides in those that fear him. You heard Christian this morning about praying, fasting, waiting upon God. He's not going to give this to people that don't revere him and respect him. And the Bible reveals to us that God is good, that he's love, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's merciful and faithful, that he's truthful and kind. You read in the verses this morning that he's not only one God, but he's one Father. And I understand that across this room this morning, in this Christian congregation, there would even be people that would wince at that, out of earthly circumstances. And God wants to give you a revelation of the Father heart of God. It's not about performance. It's not about harsh discipline. It's not about rigidity. It's the fact that God has so loved us, the Bible says, that he has lavished his love upon us, lavished it. And if you've run away from God this morning, friends, the Bible gives us a great story of somebody running back to Father. And you can run back to him this morning. And you'll know in Luke 15 that the Father was looking out for the Son day after day, day after day. And what happened when they came back? They didn't have recrimination, they had celebration. Because the Father had found the Son and the Son had found the Father. And we've tried to bring some emphasis on occasions to the Father heart of God in this church and we'll continue to do so. Because he's one, friends, that's worth running to again and again and again and again. The Bible tells us that God is over all and in all and through all. And at the end of Romans 11, a great doxology, it says, From him, from him, and through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is in time and outside of time. God is for all the world, but God is for you. God, friends, pours himself out in every context and God comes close to your particular needs. One of the great lies of the enemy is that God's interested in everybody else but you. But he is passionately, as Christine shared in Breaking the Bread, interested in you, in your brokenness, in your failure, in your need for forgiveness. God 
loves to come to you. God doesn't want to be distant. God wants to be known. God has revealed himself and made himself real to us. And so, friends, as we come to that this morning, as we lift our hearts to the Lord, then we need to come in afresh and realize that there is only one God. How do we respond to all this in the closing moments of the message this morning? How do we respond to this amazing, amazing God? The God, friends, who so loved us that he gave himself. The Bible tells us that Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was, came to this earth, lived for just over 30 years and hung upon a cross and rose again the third day so that he might bridge the chasm, the gulf, the gap, the canyon between what God is and continues to be and what we were but what we can be also. And you can be a little seven, eight, nine-year-old and there are kids finding Jesus in kids' church right through the year. You can be a young person that's come from a dysfunctional background where the only time Jesus is ever mentioned is as a swear word. You can be an elderly person that thought, well, I, I never knew about all this stuff. I've sort of tried my best, but I realized there's more. And the, the thing is this morning, friends, that if you want to know what God's like, you just need to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. So when you see Jesus healing, that's what God's like. When you see Jesus moved with compassion, that's what God's like. When you see the crowds running to Jesus, that's what God's like. And friends, I'm so sorry that people have so often misrepresented God. If I can say so, sometimes even occasionally in the church. Yes, he's holy. Yes, he's just. Yes, he's pure. Yes, we need to revere and respect him in an appropriate way. But he's someone that comes to us. See, that's the difference between relationship and religion. Religion's forever trying to get there. Forever trying to do more. Forever trying to pray better and come to church more. reach. And religion says, yeah, more, more, more. Knock on more doors. Give more money. But relationship says, you're lost. You're hopeless. You're incomplete without me. And I so love you. I so love you that I've come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. So three little things to respond to the fact that there is only one God. Firstly, we respond personally, a walk. John 17 and verse 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom we have sent. Who, me? Yes, you. It starts, friends, with a personal commitment someone once said that God's got no grandchildren everybody's got to do their own believing and I want to tell you I celebrate last week godly example of Christian parents that brought children to the place of saying I want to follow Jesus but the reality is they didn't do it on the basis of their parents or their grandparents they did it out of that example but they'd come to their own decision that's a great story that's a great story it may be you said well I've never had that you know I've just all around me has always been chaos Everything seems to go wrong. And I get people, friends, telling me at times that things are going wrong. And the fact of the matter is, they think that things are going to change by them continuing to do things wrong. It's not going to happen. You need to start doing things right. And then as you do things right, the things that are wrong will begin to reverse. And the only way you can do that is not in your own strength, not in New Year's resolutions, even in the second Sunday of 
February a history for many people. But by the fact of the living spirit of God dwelling within you in the power of Jesus Christ that draws you to the one and only God that says, I can live for him. I can live for him all my days. You need to respond personally. And in a moment or two, Christian's going to come and he'll give you an invite to respond personally. I don't want to miss this this morning. If you've never responded personally to God, then you need to begin the war. You say, I've got so many questions. I'd love to get my head in that book. This book will never get you to God. We said it the other week. You've got to die to your intelligence and begin with a cross. And if you're a thinker and a reader and someone likes to pick over things, all that journey can take place. And it won't push back on your faith. It'll enhance it. Respond personally, a walk. Secondly, respond personally with priority, worship. At the end of 1 John chapter 5, it says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You say, ah, yeah, of course. We've been talking about the subcontinent and all those people worshiping idols. Friends, this nation is full of idolatry because the Amplified Bible amplifies what the writer is trying to communicate. And here's what an idol is. An idol is anything and everything that occupies the place in your heart that's due to God. If you're going to have some growth spurts in your life as a believer, he's going to deal with your idolatry. I'm telling you. Some of my great growth spurts as a Christian, friends, is when God simply said, so who comes first? It's as simple as that. And boys, he dug deep. And I want to encourage you today to come to a place of presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Because the reality is this, friends, if your worship of God is not challenging the priorities of your life, you have not understood worship. Thank God for songs. Thank God, friends, for that one voice that we can lift to the Lord week after week. Thank God for music. Thank God for the band that bring us to the presence of God. But friends, it's more than that. It's saying, who's on the throne of my heart? Who comes first? And thirdly, we respond personally with priority to fulfill a purpose. It starts with a walk. It goes to worship. And it expresses itself in works. We don't get to God by doing works. We do works from knowing him. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been saved by grace. And verse 10 says, because we're his workmanship. It literally means his masterpiece. Someone that he's crafted. Someone that he nurtures. Someone that he tends to. Someone that he's pleased about. If I can put it this way, friends. Someone that God is proud about. That we might be his workmanship created unto good works. Isn't it fantastic in Arena Church when people get saved and then they start to serve? It's the very process that God's designed us for in the earth. That we might serve the Lord. I close with 1 Chronicles 17.20. David prayed, there is no one like you, Lord. There is no God but you. Go with us on this series. Be strengthened again in the challenges of your world. Maybe your inner world, but also your world of work, your world of study, your world of ministry, your world of church. Make no mistake, we live in an incredibly challenging world season with people try and push back on us and define us rather than us them let's not fear let's not be negative let's not go in on ourselves but let's run to the things that really do matter that have lived through the generations and need to continue to be poured down to the next 
Let's give ourselves to the one and only God with our one and only life. Let's love him. Let's adore him. Let's bless him. Let's serve him. It's the very purpose of living. Amen.